Good morning. Good morning. Today's reading will uh, be found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. That's Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, through things in the heavens and the things of, on the earth. All right, we want to continue on with the series that uh, that we've begun uh, through December, uh, basically looking at Jesus through song. And uh, Jay, Vince, and I have all part of that. And today we want to talk about the ideas that come from the song that we just sang. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, God told the Israelites back in the Old Testament uh, that no one was to come before him empty-handed. That's really a, an interesting thing when you think about it. And what I want to do is I want to borrow uh, a section uh, from Micah where... He takes that idea because Micah asks in Micah 6, verse 6, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? I mean, that's really, you know, if you think about, okay, I'm supposed to bring something to God. Well, what should that be? And as Micah thinks about this, uh you can tell that it really matters to him. And so you think about why this would matter. And Michael will actually say in the verses that, that come down here, uh, for the sin of my soul. I will read that more in, in just a minute. But, you know, from a biblical perspective, we know there are a number of passages that tell us uh Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, Ezekiel 18.3, the soul that sins will die. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Isaiah 59.2, that your sins have made a separation between you and God. You know, about every way you can imagine it, and what the Bible talks about is that Sin uh, is not just 
something to be taken very lightly. It is something that is abhorrent to God, that is repugnant, causes a separation between us and our Creator, and leads to eternal death. Could we make it any more serious than that? I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. So, as Micah contemplates that question of, well, with what shall I come before the Lord? You can kind of see the answers that he thinks. So, he says, shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Well, in the Old Testament, there were sin offerings that were intended to help cleanse and for the worshiper to find forgiveness before God. So, shall I find, uh, shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Now, you understand that what Micah is doing here is what we call hyperbole. It's a form of exaggeration. It's, it's not intended... You know, sometimes people exaggerate to tell a lie, right? This is really for emphasis, to kind of make the point. You know, and you just think about the, the, the blood from the sacrifices that would be, that would be flowing and the oil. But then, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? Okay, now understand. There was no concept of the sacrifice of children. In fact, that was abhorrent to God in the Old Testament. But Micah is, I think, genuinely trying to, to make the point here about what can a human being possibly give to God? Well, the most precious thing would be our children, wouldn't it? So he says, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Wow. That's powerful. But Micah is making a point here about the effect of sin and the basic helplessness of a human being. To make it right. So then he says, verse 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. By making this point of what is good, you know, it wasn't bad to offer the sacrifices that were part of the law. But, and I appreciated, uh, I think it was in Miles' prayer, that he, that he talked about, you know, the, the, the Lord's Supper not becoming, you know, just this mechanical ritual that we go through. That often it was easy for people to just go through the mechanical motions of sacrifice and not really pay attention to the meaning and significance of what they were doing. So, Micah says, it's got to be the attitude, not the quantity, of what's being done to come to God. 
Well, the idea back in the Old Testament in Leviticus uh, chapter 17, 11, that the life of a creature is in the blood. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a very strong sense of teaching that human beings, people, were not to eat blood because the life of a creature is in the blood. I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. In in saying it that way, God gives it a, a concept of holiness. He sets it apart for a very specific and very important role. And so to take something that is holy and use it for something as as common as satisfying appetite, he says, no, don't eat the blood. The blood is for atonement, for cleansing, washing away of sin as the Israelite people come to worship. So in Ephesians 1, Paul has one of the most beautiful passages, I think, in talking about the blessings that we have in Christ. And uh, we're not going to spend our time talking about all of this, but just kind of notice a few things about some of these blessings that he mentions. Uh, You know, he starts off praising, thanking God for all the spiritual blessings we have in in the heavenly translations, we'll say the heavenly places. And he mentions that I'm just going to identify four here. Number one, he has chosen us to be holy and blameless. And you know, when I read that, sometimes I feel like, well, wait a minute here. I, I'm a human being. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I sin. I lose my cool. And yet... Paul doesn't say he might make us holy and blameless, that this is one of the blessings that you and I have as Christians being in Christ. Secondly, he is predestined for us for adoption. You know, for those of us who've been adopted, we know what a great treasure, what a priceless gift that is. Somebody that was not related to us took us in and accepted us and bestowed on us all of the privileges and relationships that those who were naturally born into the family receive. And we, because we were not part of God's family because of our sin, And because it has separated us, God brings us back. Okay, third, he mentions redemption. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then, in kind of a way that that expands on the word redemption, he uses the word forgiveness. Now, redemption in the uh, New Testament, the word that's used there comes from the uh, the practice of slavery. Now, you could become a slave for a number of reasons. You, you could be captured in war. You could be born into slavery. 
You could be put into slavery because of debt. But when you became a slave, you lost all your rights and privileges. And you had no way to get out of that. I mean, there, there was a sense that maybe if you could somehow put together enough money, you could buy your way. And that would be redeeming yourself. But that was very unlikely. And so with that idea of redemption, the, the, the New Testament gives us the idea of the Bible that when we sin, we become slaves of sin. And the only way for us to get out of that is to be redeemed, to be bought back. Because we can't free ourselves. And so the New Testament tells us in this passage here in um, Ephesians 1, that we are redeemed or purchased by the blood of Christ. You know, the idea is, okay, somebody's a slave of another person. The only way the slave can get out of it is for a third party to come in to pay the ransom. And then they become slave to the one who freed them. Hopefully, you know, if you were a slave, you would hope that if you were bought by another master, that that one would be kinder and nicer to you than the previous one. Right? But... You change ownership. And the person who has the right over you initially loses you, and you have a new master. And, you know, and if you look at, especially in Romans, that Paul would get into this idea. Um, and so that parallel that Paul uses to redemption, to forgiveness of our trespasses. So 1 Peter 1, 17 to 21. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. Okay, now just kind of think here. In other words, how did, how did you know, Paul writing to Christians, uh, or Peter, how did you get out of your slavery to sin? How were you ransomed or redeemed? Well, it wasn't because somebody came with a great big bag of money, gold or silver, and plunked it down before Satan. Doesn't work that way, does it? So it wasn't with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. One of the things that really stands out in this is what God has done for us. Go back and look at Ephesians 1 and see all of the different ways that it goes through that. All of the ways that you see that God, his love, His mercy, His grace has operated in us and for us. Because we could not do it for ourselves. 
Okay, we're about three slides beyond where we are right now. So, all right, Colossians 1, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. One of the things that really stands out to me, and as I was looking through this, and I was thinking about all of the different uh, ways and different terms, you know, because you talk about Jesus' blood, we talk about the cross, uh, that there are different synonyms that the New Testament uses to describe what Jesus and God have done for us and the price that has been paid to redeem us from sin and to give us you remember that statement that was just made? So that our faith and our hope are in God. One of the passages that I really, really love is 1 John. I spend a lot of time in 1 John because it says a lot to me. You know, uh, it kind of warns me and you about the consequences of, of trying to pretend and deny that I have any sin. And the need to be honest and to admit our sin to the Father. And that if we forget, I mean if we, not forget, but if we uh, confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so that's where we have the wonderful passage. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It is a beautiful, wonderful promise that we have because Jesus died on the cross. It's not something we earned. You know, you think about the words of the song that we just sang, and I'm just going to go through those very quickly here. And I've kind of done it a little bit differently on the, the next slide here. What can wash away my sin? That's the first phrase. And then of the next line, what can make me whole again? For my pardon, this I see. For my cleansing, this my plea. Nothing. Can for sin atone, not of good that I have done. And every one of those lines ends with nothing but the blood of Jesus. I cannot do it without the blood of Christ. You know, when we talk about blood, sometimes that's a little hard for people to grasp. You know, we... There are some people who think, well, we live in a modern world and and the idea of blood is kind of passe. But yet, that's what purchased our redemption. That's how we dare come to God and have the broken relationship put back together. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul was reminding the Christians at Corinth of how Uh, serious the gospel is. 
He says, I, I would make known to you, or some of the translations say, I would remind you, brethren, of the gospel, which I preach to you. That, that word gospel, we know, means good news. I would remind you of the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I, I kind of imagine Paul, as he is writing this, is thinking about how can I possibly emphasize the point I want to make here about how important this is. This is the gospel. This is how you were saved. And so he goes on in verse 3, that Christ Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose on the third day, and then goes on to list the appearances of Jesus. It is the most wonderful news in the world. That's why that word gospel in Greek actually literally means good news. You know, from a human standpoint, we might look at it and say, is it good news that somebody died? Not necessarily. Although... I can think over the years of, of people that, that I and we have loved dear, dearly who have had horrible illnesses, a lot of suffering, but, <coughs> but they were righteous, godly people. And to make the announcement that they have passed to their eternal reward is actually good news, isn't it? But yet, the core of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. He died for us so that by his blood, we can be healed. We can be made righteous. We can find forgiveness. We can have eternal life. It's not something we want to take for granted, is it? It's something we want to very seriously <coughs> have as part of our lives. I asked Chad to lead a, a different song. We've kind of been in a pattern of singing the same song before and after the lesson. But I thought, you know, there's another, <coughs> excuse me, there's another song that fits quite well here. Actually, there's a number of songs. But I thought the song, Just As I Am, Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And as we sing this song, I hope that each one of us will be thinking about what is my relationship with the blood of Christ? Hopefully, as Christians, we can celebrate joyfully that the blood of Christ has cleansed, has cleansed us from every sin, that, that what that song, what can wash away my sin, could be what has washed away my sin. But for those who are not yet Christians, hopefully this is a song that will encourage you to think about your response to Jesus and will help you make that decision to follow him. And if there's some way that we can help you, uh, you can communicate that to me. Uh, 
to Jay, to one of the elders. Let's stand as we sing.